And now, proper propaganda. Pull my mic back, you like that? Journalists with journalists too. We can strike back. Hardcore reporters with orders from headquarters. Behind enemy lines, sidestepping the borders. If you're just tuning in to Civic Cipher, I am your host, Ramses Ja. Big shout out to my man, Q Ward, who has taken a week off, but shall return in short order to give you more of his thoughts and his perspective on all the things that you know and love for him to talk about i'm sure anyway uh this week we have a very special guest with us harry Curtin, uh who i met at a panel uh for you know folks running for city council he's the person that i thought um i would lend my endorsement to and i invited him up on the show and he's here with us to discuss you know the role of local government um certain policies that he feels could be beneficial um and just you know what the future may hold for us so we're gonna uh talk more with him and we're also going to discuss uh, benjamin banneker for our way black history fact and he's a very interesting person that shows that we were not just slaves and conquered tribes brought over to this country but great thinkers and contributors to the foundation of this great nation of ours but first and foremost let's discuss Baba, how to become a better ally. Today's Baba is sponsored by Major Threads, where high fashion meets timeless menswear. Visit majorthreads.com for more information. The uh, passage I'm reading comes from scotusblog.com, and I'm going to need you to pay a little bit of attention because the Baba comes in the end. All right. In February, a divided Supreme Court temporarily blocked a ruling by a three-judge district court in Alabama, which had agreed the state's new congressional map likely violates the Voting Rights Act. After nearly two hours of oral argument on Tuesday, the justices appeared inclined to permanently set aside the district court's ruling, even if it wasn't clear on exactly what theory they would do so. But even a narrower ruling than the broad pronouncement the state seeks would, the plaintiffs contend, make it much more difficult to challenge redistricting plans on the grounds that they weaken the collective voting power of black people. So yeah, this is something we got to pay attention to. The law at the center of this case is Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act, which bars election practices that result in the denial or abridgment of the right to vote based on race. Voters and other groups have challenged Alabama's 2021 redistricting map for its seven seats in the U.S. House of Representatives, arguing that the map violates Section 2 by diluting the votes of the state's black residents who make up 27 percent of the state's population the state the state the challenger said illegally packed many black voters into one district as part of the as part of alabama known as the black belt at the time the challengers contend the state dispersed black voters in the rest of the black belt into several other districts where they are only a minority when it sh should have created an, an additional majority black district a three-judge court that included two judges appointed by President Donald Trump, ruled that the map likely violates Section 2, but in February, the Supreme Court, by a vote of 5-4, to four, put that decision on hold, allowing Alabama to use the map in the 2022 elections and set the case for argument in the 2022-23 term. If you want to help push back against this, please visit NAACP.org slash donate. We need our vote. We need our voice. Once again, NAACP.org slash donate. All right. Now, back to today's guest, Mr. Harry Curtin. All right. All right. We talked about um, local government. We talked about uh, homelessness a bit. Yep. Let's get to the, the <laughs> big to one. the meat. 
Let's get to the meat. All right. <laughs> what are your thoughts on the current state of policing? Yeah. So this is something at a city council level, you have a lot of input and mm-hmm. a lot of, you can, you can make some real good happen in this area for sure. All right. So the police for me, I talked a little bit in the beginning about, you know, my story and kind of what I went through as a kid. Mm-hmm. When I was a kid, I wanted to be a police officer. Mm-hmm. You know, they were my heroes. They looked out for me in these, you know, times when they would be showing up to our house to break up a dispute between my parents. I mean, they were, I sometimes knew their names better than I knew my teachers. Mm. Um, little kids don't want to be police officers anymore. Mm. And probably for good reason. You know, we've, we haven't evolved that department the way we should. We haven't supported the officers the way we should. But I think what we're missing is how we policed in the past is not what's going to work in the future today and into the future. And we've been unfair to them and we've been fair, unfair to the public. And there's a lot that can change there to make them more supported, make them want to be a police officer again, allow them to have the career opportunities that they should have, but also get the officers we want to support the problems we have in the city. Sure. So, you know, this is a problem I've thought so deeply about. I mean, I think about it all the time. And one of the things that really drove me to run for office for me, if I just had like a golden opportunity, if I said, Hey, I could just wave a wand and get what I want. What I would want is essentially a advanced campus for training for police officers. One that country's never seen before something i mean i think star trek i mean advanced beautiful campus that focuses on social work mental health um you know cyber all these different areas that a police officer now deals with on a daily basis not always cyber but a lot of these areas because i mean we're, we're expecting an officer to show up and deal with a mental health crisis a domestic dispute you know all these things and solve in one day and they don't have those skills you know yeah. we haven't given them those tools we're not fair to them and then we're like oh yeah you did a bad job well i wouldn't do good i mean how would you, could you possibly do it what i see is an expanded police force, but a different kind of police force. I'm talking about community policing. And you have a domestic dispute. You have someone that shows up that's highly trained in that area show up. Maybe you have an officer in the background, you know, the gun, if something goes wrong, but you're essentially diagnosing the problem from 911 as best you can mm-hmm. to bring the right resource. So we're not escalating, we're de-escalating. Right. You know, it's just a totally different vision. And you're going to get officers that want to be there again. You're going to get a community that's supported. You're going to have people going out that can actually help with these problems. We're just not. We're just not. I, you know? I, I, I love that that you have this approach. I want to share something with you, if I may. Please, First yeah. off, yeah. Michael is cute. Yeah. Uh, he has the same background. He, when he was younger, he wanted to be a police officer. In fact, when he was old enough, he actually applied. Really. Yeah. So he's someone that grew up sort of espousing. Um, the idea sure. of being there were heroes, die hard. We there had you all go. Now. there you yeah, go, right? That's... Yeah. Um, I was kind of meant to be a rock star, so it, didn't really, <laughs> yeah, it wasn't didn't in really the cards, work out man. Yeah, but you had too um, good of hair, I guess. Yeah, yeah, you're very kind. Um, so here's my view. Yeah, you're absolutely right. We ask police to do too much. Um, the way that we have framed policing via what is known as copaganda, mm-hmm. meaning uh, police are espoused, especially espoused through Hollywood films and, you know, uh, crime stories and true crime, this sort of stuff. Um, and the way that police misconduct is sort of buried, the way that the uh, policing kind of 
Uh, are you familiar with the Stanford experiments? We won't get into how, yeah, how familiar yeah, give, they are. Give me back because I, I the do Stanford know experiments this, I, yeah. is, is basically a prison experiment. That's right. Okay. Where um, you know, it's, it's I kids. saw the movie. I don't know how accurate yeah, yeah, yeah. it was. But, yeah, yeah, but but you know, it just yeah. gives you a, a glimpse into human psychology. Yeah. It's not the most uh, you know. The, it, it's debatable. You know how True. the experiment was conducted, but yeah. it, it does serve as. You know, again, we mentioned absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. Yeah. This is a thing. It's a human condition. We're not, you know, pointing anything I'm with you. racially. With it's a I human condition, right? Yeah. So um, when it comes to policing, so I've been around the world. I've, yeah. I've been very fortunate. I've traveled. I've been all 50 states. I've been, yeah. you know, done, seen a good amount of this planet. Me too. Good awesome. Opportunity. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. So um, I've been in places where police have no guns. Mm-hmm. It's not a real thing. Mm-hmm. They don't have crime in okay. the way that we do. Yeah. Um, jails are different. Jails are different, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've been in places where police do have guns. Mm-hmm. And I, we, this is a country where we do have the right to bear arms. Q yeah. famously is a, is a gun owner. I famously am not. I do not mm-hmm. believe that my purpose, I was not created by our common creator to take a life. Mm-hmm. And I don't believe a gun is how you defend yourself. That's how you in the life yeah. that's the only purpose I'm of that if you. i'm defending myself it's with I'm a with vest or you know hiding or something <laughs> words so yeah. yeah yeah you know but i you know that's to execute not to defend you know? yeah yeah anyway um i've been places where the police do have guns mm-hmm. you know they have the right to bear arms in these countries as well yeah. and the police will keep their guns in the trunk of their car there's a there's a step between uh where where you have no gun i'm with you and where you have sort of this ready fire aim happening over and over again. I'm with you. Um, absolutely. I know that yeah. you are. This is for yeah. our listeners, but yeah. we're painting yeah. a picture here because yeah. I'd love your thoughts here. Now. I think we can get there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So watch this. Yeah. Um, what we have right now, I think it appeals to people who want to do good. Absolutely. Yeah. But it also appeals to people who maybe themselves have been bullied by parents in their home. Mm-hmm. They want respect. They want, you know, they want that gun. Mm-hmm. That gun commands respect. There's no two ways about it. Right. Mm-hmm. And if they have a gun and a way to, if you don't respect me, if you don't respect my authority, um, you know, then they, they kind of, it's, it's kind of like a rage quit. You know, this we, and this is something that we see quite often. I have an example. We, we will talk about it next week on the show. Yeah. Our producer, Maggie B. Nolan, put it together for us. Um, and this is, uh, normally we talk about stories that affect black and brown communities, mm-hmm. um, our Asian American and Pacific Islander brothers and sisters, so forth and so on. Mm-hmm. But uh, this will probably be a third or fourth show where we talk about yeah. exclusively our Caucasian brothers and sisters. And we there was a young man who lost his life at the hands of police it's on video mm-hmm. and he was white. Um, he parked his vehicle and he called the police and he said, um, I'm, I'm having a tough time here. I need some help. Yeah. And the police came and they did try to talk to him. Yeah. And after some time they wanted to go home, I guess, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, he may have had like a pocket and something in the yeah. car I, I don't remember what it is you'll get the actual story next week or you of course you can look this up um and uh they wanted to tase him when they started tasing him of course he's moving erratically and then someone uh one of the officers shot him through the front window he called them because he was having a problem he wanted to help but he didn't want to get out of the sure. car because mental afraid. health issue mental health issue yeah. and he's he's no longer here so to tell officers story. weren't trained for that there you go so yeah. um what we have is a system that puts fear 
kind of squarely in the middle of the narrative for police officers. Yeah, like that's you, the, tool, you have that's to protect... the only tool they have right now. Well, well watch, have, yeah. watch, watch this. Yeah. Um, you're a police officer. Uh, you know, it's crazy out here. Mm-hmm. Everybody has a gun. Mm-hmm. So you need to have your gun. If you, if you feel your life is in danger, you need to shoot, you know, blah, blah, blah. Rather than, hey, you realize that this job could be dangerous. Yeah. You know, this could be a dangerous job. Our job is to help people, you know, and, and kind of have a different orientation around it. We have a certain orientation where the officer had to, they fear for his life. It was justified, blah, blah, blah. And we're seeing that people are losing their life needlessly. People that didn't intend to wake up and do anything crazy and end up dead, mm-hmm. end up dead very often. Not to say that police officers shouldn't be able to protect themselves, but yeah. when we go into it with Fear. The officers are that afraid. Q doesn't like when I use that word because he often sees these videos as being overt racism or, you know, like, I just don't care about these people's lives mm-hmm. and I'm going to see this through to the end. But mm-hmm. for me, a lot of times I try to give the benefit of the doubt. I call it fear. When the officers are made to be afraid, when fear is sort of where they operate from and we give them a device, a contraption whose only purpose is to end a life, Mm -hmm. then we end up seeing the same stories that we see over and over again. And so Mm -hmm. to your point, um, you know, the state of policing is not necessarily about the individual police officers. It's about police culture. It's based around fear for giving people guns and they, the guns is like the first line of defense. If we're militarizing the police, they got these punisher masks that align with their identity and so forth. They, it, 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 it in, enhances bully culture. Uh, it enhances um, us versus them as opposed to, listen, we are in the same community. I have friends right now who are police officers. I've shouted them out on this show before. And a lot of you listening, I, I know, police I know well, yeah. well, a lot of my listeners, they are going to hear that and be like, oh my God. But I do, I'll be honest, hey, I do have friends. They're people, man. Yeah, I mean, human looks. Until we've given them the tools and the investment and given them tools that they can actually address these problems correctly. Sure. I think we're... Man, I mean, think about think about a day in the life of a police officer in terms mm-hmm. of what they make. You know, they're, they're they struggling to, to raise their family, mm-hmm. and then they're going out, they're laying their life on the line. They have to solve all these city problems mm-hmm. in a day. Often, I mean, look, man, I know there's the bad apple thing. You know, I, I get it, but Jesus, how many times do you make a mistake in a week? And what you know? are the implications? Of yeah, a very small there's, scale. We got none. Big, They've got yeah. none. They've got no room. You know, I and I just I want to give them the right tools. I want to invest. I want to create that. And then I can kind of come in with a stick, you know, yeah. I, you know I want to do the right thing. I don't think we're doing the right thing. Yeah, you know, nobody wants to be a cop. I, so how, we're going to be in trouble here. And another yeah. thing. So there's a lot of people that feel like the change is going to happen overnight. And I realize that no. things need yeah. to evolve and they probably are going to evolve very slowly. Yeah. Um, as is often the case with things central to the black plight in this country. Yeah. Um, Again, there are a lot of institutions that are resistant to change mm-hmm. because simply because that's the way we've always done sure. it, right? Yeah. yeah. And a shift in the narrative, a shift in the identity, and the shift in we'll call this it is politics. A tough, this will be a tough fight. Right. People that exactly. are used to it being this way. There's and officers that want it but won't be able to speak up either. Sure. There's gonna sure, be all of that. Sure, sure. All of it. And um, I think to your point, I, I someone who's willing to say listen, what we have is not working. Um, What we've done in the past is not working. Throwing more money at the problem without creating new uh, uh, 
solutions, guidelines, yeah, solutions, yeah, rules, yeah, yeah. you know, a, a plan um, doesn't it, it does nothing for no one. And so this is kind of what really stood out to me when you were speaking. Obviously, I could go on and on about the way policing is done. Again, the human beings, yeah. I don't take issue with the human beings, but the institution, the way that it is uh, executed uh, uh, throughout society. Well, the same way we have for 100 years. I mean, right, 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 exactly. Well said. Changed, it overwhelmingly it's not the benefits, Wild West anymore. Man. Right. It, and it overwhelmingly yeah. benefits a certain group of people. Um, they don't see the problems. They don't see the flaws. The police never interact with them other than wave and say hi. And then there's other groups of people where they are overly policed and therefore overly incarcerated. Not that they do more crimes. I'm worried about that too, but I'm worried about the police officers and sure, what they're going sure, through. Absolutely. You know, as you should I be. feel for them. As you should be. But, um, you know, we have to bear in mind the nature of the job and uh, the purpose of the job is to serve the community, or at least in theory, the Supreme yeah. Court decided that police officers do not have to, in fact, serve and protect. But yeah. in theory, this is what they do. And so everyone deserves a voice in terms of how their communities are policed. And because oftentimes it's black and brown mothers that are grieving the loss, the permanent loss of their children or families ripped apart and, and or, or beaten or whatever things that don't make the news. Um, everyone deserves to have a seat at the table. And I think a person who has a degree of empathy and, and, and focuses on the human experience of this all deserves to be elected, which is why I will be voting for you. <laughs> You're my district. Yes, that sir. Out. So uh, let's move on. Let's move okay. on. Um, Can I tell uh, one story? Please. Yeah. One. Yeah. So uh, I'm a part of a group called the 100 club. It, it supports fallen officers, first responders mm -hmm. if they get hurt. Mm -hmm. So I went out, there was a big story here about a year ago where officers were protecting a baby. Somebody was using a baby basically to dodge the bullet. Oof. Five officers went out. They all got shot. Mm. A woman really went in there, dug in, got shot the worst. I went out there, part of the 100 club to kind of give them checks just to help them out. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what else to say to them, but I wish it was me. I mean, these are kind, nice people given their lives. Mm -hmm. What am I doing? You know, and I think this story is complex. You know, and um, yeah. So no, I I'm, just, I'm, I'm glad you. I'm glad yeah. you said that. It, yeah. it is important to say that, and this is why I keep saying that these are people who are part of an institution that there are disproportionate outcomes and effects on communities. The people who are brave. The pe we we've covered yeah. stories of officers being very brave, charging into. Uh, a firefight to help protect black and brown oh, people. Man. We've told yeah. those stories on this yeah. show. Yeah. Uh, and we've also had to talk about Uvalde, yeah. you know, and, yeah. and everything in between. And so yeah. something that's a bit more consistent that acknowledges the fact that we're dealing with human beings on both sides. It's of love that still, man. Stick with still, love still. There you go. <laughs> so well said, sir. All right. So um, I want to get this one in um, because this is something that we've touched on a lot on this show. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned that you're, um, success in, in business and helping people billion dollar you know operations yeah, problems, and so yeah, forth. yeah. Big um so big business is yeah. responsible for a lot of what is now being deemed as environmental racism this is something yeah. again that we discussed on this show for those of you listening who may not be familiar with environmental racism uh check out anything on youtube uh John Oliver has a great segment. It's about 20 minutes long. If you don't have 20 minutes, I'm sure there's vice. There's, you know, other reputable sources, yeah, yeah. but environmental racism, please look it up. Um, but uh, again, big business is responsible for a lot of what is now being deemed as environmental racism. Mm -hmm. How can or how should we address this? Yeah, I mean, it's such a, and you know, we talked just for a second before 
it's not a subject I feel I'm I've got clocked. You know, I just don't. And that's okay. and I think you bringing it up, what it pushes me to do is really dig in. You know, what in the city, where are those situations maybe happening? Mm-hmm. That's what I want to know. I can, this, I, can, you know? I can give you I can give you a response. Yeah, so hit watch me. This. tell me, talk to me. So um my uh Hispanic uh brothers and sisters yeah. uh are uh s- Central, uh, what was the word? Concentrated yeah. is the word I'm looking for. Yeah. Um, in certain pockets of sure. this city that we live in, yeah. right? Yeah. And what we have seen, I, I've seen a report on this, um, is that you know in Arizona we have a very specific, unique issue in that it gets very hot here. Yeah. Um, if you look in places like you know Paradise Valley, which is very affluent, Scottsdale, mm-hmm. Arizona, which again is very influent, things like this. In those neighborhoods where there's a larger concentration of our Caucasian brothers and sisters, um, you'll notice that the temperature itself yeah. is about, I believe cooler. it's two to eight degrees cooler <laughs> yeah, yeah. on average. Not as much blacktop. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And what the city uh, doesn't realize is that it affects health, Yeah. the health of the individuals of mm-hmm. our Hispanic brothers and sisters. Um, it affects mobility. Yeah. It affects housing prices. It affects, you know, so forth and so on. And so when the city comes up with funds to put in parks, green belts, things like this, um, and they continue to go into neighborhoods that beautify parts of the city that are not really the hardest hit by, you know, the sun because they're older neighborhoods, because they're underdeveloped, because they're poor and populated by uh, Hispanic uh, Mm -hmm. folks. Um, what we all miss out on is an opportunity to bring a little bit of comfort. Wouldn't that be interesting if we invest there? That's the point. So this is an example. How does that change a city? This is an example. You're getting to the root. Exactly. Thank you. And this is an example, one example of environmental racism. Of course, it's often associated with big business pollution, things like this, yeah. businesses in black and brown neighborhoods, dumping, polluting the air, so forth. It, it creates health uh, um, disparities health, yeah. in, in healthcare. Um, it contributes to early mortality, oh, yeah. um, obesity, thing, all kinds of stuff. And Arizona's, and you know, we're in the desert, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of if you look at our landscape, we we try to be somewhere else sometimes, and we have things that maybe are, shouldn't be here. We're wasting water, um, but also we're just not being coherent to the environment that we live in sure, and, and sure. being able to provide. You know. Sure, absolutely. So uh, what I want to do is I want to take a minute um, and I, I want you to. It, okay, I'm a voter. Yeah. Why would I vote for you? This is always I, take question. one minute, one, one minute. minute. Why would I vote for you? And then I need your website, social media, all that. Yeah, stuff, so. yeah. This is I'm I'm not a pitch man. It's okay. It's <laughs> I'm okay. a storyteller. But I, I watch the clock. You, you yeah. take your time. I'm here to help. You okay. know, I really i've I've spent a career in my last 20 years to solve these major problems, big, complicated problems. I'm the last guy you call, mm-hmm. <laughs> and. I just want to put those skills to work. I'm not a career politician. I believe you get in, you get out. Mm-hmm. You know, you, 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 this is a public service. I am servicing the community, not about servicing myself and my career. Sure, sure. This is what it's about. And I truly believe in this city. I think we can be a leader in this nation. I wouldn't be doing it otherwise. You know, if I didn't think we could lead in police, if I didn't think we could lead in homeless, I wouldn't be doing this. I think there's an opportunity here and that's why I'm doing it. Wonderful. And, you know, there's, uh, the, the, the person who, you are hopefully replacing um you know i i reached out to him a, a few times yeah. and uh he he actually uh 
responded to me. This was via Facebook. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he was so dug in mm-hmm. on one side that, and so deaf to any complaints or anything like that, that it made it very difficult. And one thing that I want to applaud, sir, is that you seem like a person who's willing to listen to the humans. And my hope is that you will go far. Of course, we're lending our platform to you today. Uh, please find out more about Harry Curtin at harrycurtin.com. Yep. And your social media, please. Yeah. So just Harry Curtin, very easy to search. So it's H-A-R-R-Y-C-U-R-T-I-N. You know, at the harrycurtin.com, we're taking donations. Campaigns are expensive. Anything you can do, we certainly appreciate. But just appreciate your support, jumping on board, Twitter, et cetera. We'd love to have you. Absolutely. And now it's time for the Way Black History Fact. This week's Way Black History Fact is sponsored by Hip Hop Weekly Magazine. All the latest in hip hop culture is available at hiphopweekly.com. Uh, today's story comes from biography.com and we will be discussing benjamin banneker so i will read benjamin banneker was a largely self-educated mathematician astronomer compiler of almanacs and writer a free black man who owned a farm near baltimore benjamin banneker was largely self-educated in astronomy and mathematics he was later called upon to assist in the surveying of territory for the construction of the nation's capital He also became an active writer of almanacs and exchanged letters with Thomas Jefferson, politely challenging him to do what he could to ensure racial equality. Born November 9, 1731 in Elliott's Mills, Maryland, Banneker was the son of an ex-slave named Robert and his wife, Mary Banneke. Mary was the daughter of an English woman named Molly Welsh, a former indentured servant, and her husband, Banneke an ex-slave whom she freed and who asserted that he came from tribal royalty in West Africa. Because both of his parents were free, Benjamin escaped the wrath of slavery as well. He was taught to read by his maternal grandmother and for a very short time attended a small Quaker school. Banneker was primarily self-educated. His early accomplishments included constructing an irrigation system for the family farm and a wooden clock that was reputed to keep accurate time and ran for more than 50 years until his death. In addition, Banneker taught himself astronomy and accurately forecasted lunar and solar eclipses. After his father's passing, he ran his own farm for years, cultivating a business selling tobacco via crops. Banneker's talents and intelligence eventually came to the attention of the Elliott family, entrepreneurs who made a name and fortune by building a series of grist mills in the Baltimore area in the 1770s. George Eliot had a large personal library and loaned Banneker numerous books on astronomy and other fields. In 1791, Andrew Eliot, George's cousin, hired Banneker to assist in surveying territory for the nation's capital city. He worked in the observatory tent using a zenith sector to record the movement of the stars. However, due to a sudden illness, Banneker was only able to work for Elliot for about three months. Um, for those of you that know, like kind of the mysteries and, you know, the, the secrets of DC, um, there's a much deeper story here about ben- Benjamin Banneker and how the buildings are aligned in certain positions and so forth, how the streets are laid out, etc. Anyway, I'll continue. Uh, Banneker's true acclaim, however, came from his almanacs, which he published for six consecutive years during the later years of his life. Between 1792 and 1797, these hard books included his own astronomical calculations as well as opinion pieces, literature, and medical and title information, with the latter particularly useful to fishermen. Outside of his almanacs, Banneker also published information on bees and calculated the cycle of the 17-year locust. 
Banneker's accomplishments extended into other realms as well, including civil rights. In 1791, Jefferson was Secretary of State and Banneker considered the respected Virginian, though a slaveholder, to be an open to view African-Americans as more than just slaves. Thus, he wrote Jefferson a letter hoping he would, quote, readily embrace every opportunity to eradicate that train of absurd and false ideas and opinions which so generally prevail with respect to us, unquote. To further support his point, Banneker included a handwritten manuscript of an almanac for 1792 containing his astronomical calculations. In his letter, Banneker acknowledged he was quote, of the African race, unquote, and a free man. He recognized that he was taking a liberty writing to Jefferson, which would be unacceptable considering the almost general prejudice and prepossession, which is so prevalent in the world against those of my complexion. This is what he said. Banneker then respectfully chided Jefferson and other patriots for their hypocrisy, enslaving people like him while fighting the British for their own independence. On October 9th, 1806, after his unusual morning, after sorry, after his usual morning walk, Banneker died in his sleep, just a month short of his 75th birthday. In accordance with his wishes, all the items that had been on loan from his neighbor, George Eliot, were returned by Banneker's nephew. Also included was Banneker's astronomical journal, providing future historians one of the few records of his life known to exist. And that is a gentleman that I want you to know about because uh, sometimes the way black history fact tells you about injustices, sometimes the way black history fact tells you, gives you a historical context of the current standing of uh, black people, brown people, Asian people, people. Uh, we, we discuss legislation, uh, we discuss uh, institutions and so forth. Uh, but every so often we get to tell cool stories like this one where we are not just painted as uh, slaves or as people who just simply fought against slavery or just fought against oppression because on a show like this we have to highlight those things but we're rather more than just that as a people our stories go much deeper and obviously um illustrated by the uh numerous things that benjamin banneker contributed to this country um and of course his influence on dc and the construction of our nation's capital and the layout and so forth of our nation's capital which shows that um our great minds uh do rather more than just try to free ourselves and <laughs> if q were here you know he would know a little bit he would have a little bit more to say there because um oftentimes uh the stories that we have to tell on the story really the stories that we've inherited as you know black folks in 2022 um they're oftentimes stories of str overcoming a struggle and so um it was meaningful today uh, maggie of course our producer maggie be known uh wanted to share the story at some point and today just kind of felt a little bit more meaningful and again i implore you uh to look up dc um look up the brilliance that went into it you know i shared on the show before um that i was in egypt for my 40th birthday and uh i was made aware of how the stars were incorporated into you know their designs and the pyramids and the layout of the temples and so forth so that they could capture the light the sun's rotation and it could hit certain facets and certain smooth surfaces and reflect and light a room up um, and you'll see the same type of brilliance in engineering uh, 
uh, inherent in the designs of our nation's capital. And there was a black man who was at the table helping design that. And so, again, very important to tell these stories, to tell them accurately and make sure that we um, tell our whole story, uh, not just the parts of it that pull at the heartstrings or, um, you know, paint us as one type of people because we, like other people, are very diverse and have a lot to offer. And so, um, yeah, shout out to Benjamin Banneker. Uh, we accept your legacy, sir, and we salute you today. Uh, but that's going to do it for us here on Civic Cipher. So once again, I am your host, Ramses Ja. Uh, big shout out to my man, Q Ward. Again, he will be back next week. The show is produced by our show producer, Ms. Maggie, a.k.a. Maggie B. Noen. And again, I want to thank our guest, Harry Curtin. Once again, do me a favor, plug your website and your social media so we can get folks yeah, tapped in. HarryCurtin.com, H-A-R-R-Y-C-U-R-T-I-N.com. And then Harry Curtin on social media. I'm more the only Harry Curtin, so I'm easy sure, to find. Sure, sure. Yeah. Awesome. I love it. Yeah, I love thanks. it. Um, I'm I'm lending you my support, and I, I hope Thank that a, a good majority of our listeners do the same, especially those that can. And everyone else who's beyond the scope of District 6, six follows your career in politics or whatever it is. Um, you, you seem to be a good man, and I, and I wish you well on your journey. Uh, and that's going to do it for us once again. So hit the website, civiccypher.com. Download this in any previous episodes. You can also make a donation to Civic Cipher. We're at Civic Cipher on all social media platforms and all donations platforms and uh, i think that's about it so until next week y'all peace these brothers are fabulous dilated showing you where rhyme travel is worlds is between from sunlight to moon busting off stage like gunfight saloons pull my mic back you like that journalists we're journalists too we can strike back hardcore reporters with orders from headquarters behind enemy lines sidestepping the borders with press passes we bring it to you as it happens Love my crew for music and rapping. Street commander slash beat expander. Here to fight the slander with the proper propaganda. What's happening? You got a question that ask it. The news is just a TV show. Get past it. And this from a quiet wartime journalist headlines. Wake up, refuse, and resist. Like this, like this, like this, like this.